Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Polis for New Comics on sale August 14, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And uh, if you are just joining us every week, we're going to talk about comics. This is a show about the comic books. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about every single new comic that comes out this week. There's a good amount of them. Yeah. It's a hefty, hefty week. First book is Absolute Carnage Scream number one. I feel like I need to do like a Carnage accent. Like, hey, y'all, y'all should read Absolute Carnage Scream. Yeah. Um, grits. There. Boom. We both nailed it. Very good. Scream is written by Cullen Bunn with pencils by Gerardo Sandoval with inks by Victor Nava, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, so real quick, if you do not know who Scream is, because she's not really been around much lately. Let's uh, let's give you a little quick intro. She was one of five symbiotes that first appeared in the Venom Lethal Protector series from 1993. Actually, in fact, very end of 1992 was when the issue released. Uh, 26 days after I was born. Thank oh. you. Yep, 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 yep. It's disgusting. <laughs> the original host for Scream, she has been dead for several years. Uh, so this story actually kicks off with Scream rising from a grave, pulled to life by Carnage and the madness going on with the symbiotes. Uh, Scream, I, you know, I say she because it's the, that symbiote has been bonded to women mm-hmm. uh, previously in the past. But I don't think symbiotes are, have a gender yeah. themselves they, they reproduce uh asexually right uh, this issue also features patricia robertson who once bonded to a clone of the venom symbiote andy benton previously known as menace also shows up also had a symbiote we've been following her trail recently in a couple of comics uh and she's like it's all these pieces now coming together uh, and it's grisly and it's wild uh, i really want to give a shout out to gerardo for doing that big and nasty so well, like made for Venom and symbiote stories. So cool. This is big and nasty, and it looks really neat. Yeah, totally. And and continuing on in that vein, uh, the next book we have is Absolute Carnage Separation Anxiety, number one. This is written by Clay McLeod Chapman with art by Brian Level, colors by Jordan Boyd, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, you mentioned it, the the five symbiote offspring, Scream, Lasher, Riot, Agony, and Phage. What a crew. Look, so <laughs> I just was at the X Games yes. and talking to Team Liquid and just looking at the other, uh, you know, professional uh, gamers. Yeah. And they all have they all have names that sound exactly like this. So if you told me that Agony, Riot, Lasher, and Phage were all pro gamers who played, yeah, you know, like Fortnite believe or, it. Or, or Apex, whatever, yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, they are the names of the other symbiotes. My gamer name is, uh, well, actually, one I grew up using is Ham, Ham with like 20 M's and one N. In the oh, middle of all the those worst. M's. You're the worst. Yeah. Like, if I wanted a friend, you would just be like, oh, I've been the real Agent M on platforms. Yeah. Because I get there, immediately someone else grabs Agent M, so I have right. to pull the real right. Agent M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. annoys the crap out of me. Uh, anyway, so it's uh, separation anxiety. I feel like it's kind of unexpected. You know, like Scream followed these characters we don't get to see that often. Uh, I, I mean, with the, the title character itself. Uh, and this one, this issue takes entirely kind of takes place in like this this house in Colorado uh, and it follows these kids who essentially are trapped in like this horror haunted house. Basically the backstory here is that those five offspring of the symbiote, they came together kind of molded together to form a new entity called hybrid and hybrid in continuity was kind of last seen bonding with a, a dog. Yeah. That was in Deadpool versus carnage. Right. So uh, and they, they had shown up in like carnage USA and they'd shown up in a bunch of places. Like right. they, Again, like you, you talk to Donnie and Devin, they've been plotting all of this out, looking at every single appearance. It's yeah, wild. yeah. I feel like that was a big theme this week. Is like one, a, a huge like gathering of history and like you know noting like all these things in a really great way. I feel like that happened in a few different books. And I also feel like somehow like the concept of family and uh, was was big this week. We'll talk about that as we keep going. But and you know in the opening panels it's just this this dog, this kind of German shepherd looking dog just sitting alone in the middle of the street. And then that dog ultimately enters this house with these bunch of these little kids and all hell breaks loose. Well it's a it's a family who is going through divorce essentially yeah. and there's all this anger and rage and frustration and then 
the four symbiotes sort of seep and take over, and it just becomes this hor- horrific nightmare. Yeah. This is very nearly one of my picks. Want to give a major shout out to Brian Lovell because, like, especially with the dog uh, with hybrid at the beginning, mm-hmm. there's like flies buzzing around, and like just this sense of like that unease yeah. of a, a really cool horror movie where it's it's not there's no nothing gruesome or blood like it's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. it is just that sense of menace yeah yeah really good uh up next is age of conan valeria number one this is written by meredith finch art by aniki with colors by andy troy and letters by vc's travis lanham man this was so good i don't know anything about valeria i came in like who dis? Yeah, I did a quick Bing search and yep. and filled myself in, and then I dove yeah. in. And yeah, I asked same. Jeeves. I got some <laughs> some results back. How's uh, Jeeves doing, by the way? <laughs> you know what? He's doing great. You know, sometimes I go down to Jeeves' office and yep. I'm just like, "What's up, Jeeves? It's He's like, the best." Please ask me a question, <laughs> and you do, and he feels real good. Uh, so this one was really fun to dig into because I knew nothing about Valeria. She's a pirate, an adventurer. She's a member of this thing called the Red Brotherhood. She starred actually in the final Conan story written by Robert E. Howard called Red Nails. Mm-hmm. This is kind of Valeria's origin story telling the tragedies of her childhood, her path of revenge as she was a young woman. Uh, and it's dope. Gorgeous art giving some vibes, uh, like especially with the art, getting a little sense of like Arya Stark in Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that sense of like determination, skill, and violence. Right. Uh, it, yeah. it, was, it was wild. And the pro story in here, because every one of our Conan comics comes with part of a uh, Conan novella, brand new story. This is a cool twisted one about the evil Thoth Amon. Yeah. That's how I say Thoth Amon. Yeah. The uh, serpent priest of Seth. Uh, Set? It's Set. Right. Yeah, Set. Yeah. Because I, I think we have Seth in oh. our comics, okay. which is a, basically a serpent god. <laughs> right. Uh, if I recall correctly. Speaking of serpents, there's a cool serpent headpiece this week Ooh, in yeah. comics. It is awesome. Yes. Anyway, we'll get there. Oh, have you ever... Uh, Mm, yeah. yeah, we'll talk. Uh, okay, next up we have Amazing Spider-Man number 27. Uh, this is written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Kev Walker, inks by John Dell, colors by Laura Martin, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is part two uh, of, uh, of a new arc. This is Who Run the World. It's really fun because I feel like everything that has kind of been boiling under the surface with Boomerang, you know, being Pete's roommate and everything, is starting to really boil over and, and uh, come to the surface in a big way. Uh, he's such a love to hate him character. It's the best. You know, I think that's something that lends itself extraordinarily well to Amazing Spider-Man. There's also a great crew of like super weird. Um, uh, Are you talking about the syndicate? The synd- Yes. Yeah. The syndicate and like villains. They're villains. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, the, it's essentially the Beatle who has formed a corporation. Right. For doing evil, right? I like taking that and uh, bringing in some some cool characters. I I like it, you know. Beetle, Lady Octopus, Scorpio, White Rabbit, the Trapster. What if, yes. if she's going by Trapster? But yeah. it's great. It's it's, it's really, conversations exactly. around it are so fun. exactly. That's the thing is like it's framed in a different way. It's framed in a way that you wouldn't quite expect like the nemesis like figure in any given book to be framed, but it works really really well. Uh, there there's like a ton of different storylines going on in here that are all woven in together um just when you think like oh you know you've kind of reached the the apex of this story you're like hit with oh this oh the aunt may stuff that's going on oh yeah oh my god that's like a huge piece of this and it comes in there's just like five or six of those different threads that are all uh woven together so wonderfully yeah another great issue of asm yeah. Uh, up next is Captain Marvel number nine. This one is, of course, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Cañero, with colors by Tamara Bonvalain and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, this uh, I'm loving this run so much. Just putting that out there, yeah. making that making that known. The first page is set in Carol's family house in Maine, when I love it because you just see Rhodey coming in, almost shirtless, buttoning up his shirt with all them abs showing. You like. Ooh! Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Carol is on the holographic phone with uh, with somebody, and they're they're just like, uh huh, what's going on there? And she's <laughs> like having some fun. It is tree men dust. I love uh, the pair of Rhodey and Carol. Seriously, it really. I'm glad yeah. it's brought back because that was something that ha- we had it in previous Captain Marvel, and then you know when stuff had happened with Rhodey, uh, namely that he was killed. Yeah. Um, 
I was like, oh no. But now we've got it back. It's really good. Uh, they go together. They fight a giant monster in the sewers. Carol gets some help from Tony Stark and Jessica Drew to figure out what's wrong with her because that's a huge part of the storyline. Her powers aren't acting correctly. She's weaker. Uh, she's like bleeding from her nose. She's like something is very off. So we're starting to dig into that more. There's an awesome revelation in here that Carol has basically a Carol cave, right. the, the Marvel cave. Something like yeah. that. Uh, under yeah. Maine, she's like she says, "Yeah, Tony helped me build this. It's a a place with a jet, a big computer, some costumes. It is tremendous. Like so cool. We don't really have that in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Uh, but for someone who is the most powerful, like mm-hmm. and needs a like a getaway, like it all it clicks. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's really fun. And when we you know start to like dig into the mystery, see that things are almost figured out." twists on us Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. and i'm really really again like especially the ending is proof again like i love this run it's doing really really well yeah yeah. and and we we mentioned editors devin lewis and danny kazem earlier i want to give a huge shout out to editor sarah brunstad on captain marvel she's just done tremendous amounts of work uh, on this book and 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 working with kelly and and carmen and everyone involved to make it exactly what it is A, a real a real superstar okay next up we have Conan the Barbarian Exodus number one by Asad Rabich. Yeah. That's it. All of it. All of it. Uh, with uh, uh, just a few little uh, wonderful letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And this is my first pick of the week. Boy, is it. Oh, daddy. Man, look. I ooh, This one is a masterwork. I like, honestly, if, if, if you. Didn't know that Asad was one of the greatest artists of all time. Like I would just say, oh, here you go. This is the one. This yeah. is the proof. Uh, you know, whether it's Loki or the stuff he's done on Thor, all his cover work. No, this is all you need because this is him as a storyteller, not just the artist, but he has crafted a story, a plot, looking at the whole kit and caboodle. And there's it's mostly silent. There is some dialogue in the issue when Conan encounters some humans, mm-hmm. but it's in a language. Uh, it's in whatever language. Yeah, it's of just like that runic. People. Yeah, and we're not supposed to read it because you don't need to. That's part of the charm and the the power of this. It's fully painted. It is a story of fifteen year old Conan and his first journey out of Samaria and into the greater world. Like that's a story that's never been fully told. So, you know, the dialogue that we get really is about when he starts to meet humans. You absolutely do not need to be able to read to enjoy this issue because there's so much said in body language, in uh, the action that goes on, the eyes of the characters. Like, Isad drawing eyes, the way, you know, he there's this, like, interaction between Conan and these wolves, mm-hmm. particularly one wolf, and you, like, them looking at each other. Says more than you would ever need from actual dialogue. Uh, it is beautiful. And of course, the scenery, the vistas yeah. that he paints. I know he's been working on this for a long time, and it shows. It is really just a journey of this character. If this was an animated feature, it would be one of the most beautiful things yeah. we'd ever witness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're lucky enough to kind of be in rooms where these conversations are happening all the time, but of just like... I don't even know what exactly you would call it, but like comic book artist theory or like comic theory or panel theory or just like how your eye progresses through the story, how information is given to you as you go through. It is truly uh, uh, the work of a modern Marvel master just because as you go through, it's just like the way it's framed where he decides to put the eye uh, of the of the viewer, everything in there is just absolutely gorgeous. It's stunning. Yeah, and the issue even comes with uh, Asad's mm-hmm. layouts, mm-hmm. the pencil layouts, which are in and of themselves like, right. oh, okay, cool. He's that skilled at like just like sketching stage. Yeah. Man, wow. it is. Even if you're not a Conan fan, get this book. Does Asad sell his art? Like That's a great question. Too? I mean, he produces... So of like this level stuff so infrequently. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, man. it would cost. It, I know it should cost <laughs> yeah, so much yeah, money. Absolutely, man. Oh, uh, now you got me wanting a page of, of Asad's yeah, art. I know. Uh, yeah. Um. All right. Next up, we have Doctor Strange number seventeen. This is Harold Supreme Part Six. Harold? Who's Harold? Oh yeah. <laughs> Who, who's the most famous Harold you can think of? Uh, Harold, Harold. Ramis. Do you? So do you consider a Harry? Harry yes. Harry and the Hendersons, brother. Oh. Do you even know what Harry and the Hendersons I've is? I've heard that oh, phrase. I've got to go. <laughs> I'm going to die. Um, what about the, you? Uh, Harry Go. Harry Go. <laughs> Harry yeah. Go. Marvel producer, Harry Go. You know the what? coolest person We're gonna in get Harry. Office. We're going to get Harry on this week at Marvel soon. Oh, we you have gotta. Because he actually has a lot of cool stuff coming up. Oh, yeah, he does. Um, okay, so this is Harold Supreme Part 6. This has been such a f- like absolutely wild uh, story arc. It feels like a, a kind of mini cosmic event in and of itself. It's been really, really incredible. Uh, and it's all been uh, brought to you beautifully by storytellers Barry Kitson and Mark Wade with finishes by Scott Koblish, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Essentially, we're kind of bouncing between a bunch of different elements in this story revolving around uh, Doctor Strange. Galactus, Mephisto, and then at various moments, almost every hero in the Marvel Universe. I mean, it really reminded me actually of History of the Marvel Universe uh, by Mark Waid. I I feel like he must have written these kind of around the same time because that is the level of expansiveness of this story. It's been so much fun to read. Yeah, sometimes I think about like the Mount Rushmores of comics. Yeah, yeah. And... Thinking of them in eras, Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. Because I don't... I mean, if you had one Mount Rushmore of all of comics, sure, it's Stan and Jack yeah. are up there. But you know, like you want to, I like to think about. Okay, well then, what? Who's the seventies? Who's the eighties? Mm-hmm. Who's the nineties? Mm-hmm. Who's the modern, like current time? I like you know, Mark is up there when you talk about the nineties or from the nineties on. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's so good. Okay, next up we have Fantastic Four number 13, which is written by Dan Slott with art by Sean Isaacs, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters by VCs Joe Carmani. And it's my first pick of the week. In Fantastic Four number 12, we left off Ben and Alicia were on their honeymoon. Uh, Things were going great. It happened to coincide with the one day a year when the thing transforms back into just normal old dude. No superpowers, just normal guy from the Lower East Side, Ben Grimm. And right at that moment, the immortal Hulk showed up to challenge him to a fight. Now, it's not... Well, you, yeah. Now we can say it, right? Yeah. It's not quite the immortal Hulk. I mean, it is. It is. But he's being controlled. Exactly. To uh, an extent. Yes. But you can even see it. I mean, he's got these these red eyes and, and things like that. But as far as Ben's con- con- concerned... Uh, uh, he's got the Hulk to contend with and the Hulk wants to throw down. And so we got the opening salvo of a classic thing versus Hulk fight. Essentially, it's all kind of building so beautifully to this moment where it's like the thing knows he has to defeat the Hulk before the clock strikes midnight and uh, him summoning that power. It's like, it's almost like Rocky in that way where it's just like he's beaten and battered and, he just needs to keep getting up and getting up and trying again because he has no choice. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about what happens in the later bits of this the, no, the yeah, issue, yeah. but uh, it's just it's so good. Yeah, I as soon as I finished it, I texted Dan to tell yeah. him how much I loved it because yeah. I know he was so excited for people to read it, and it delivers on every single level. It is tremendous. Uh, it was would have been my pick if you didn't grab it first. Yeah, so, yeah. I well jumped on done. it real quick. Uh, All right, up next is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 10, written by Tom Taylor, with art by Ken Lashley, Scott Hanna, and Luca Maresca, with colors by Nolan Woodard and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. You know, this one is real fun because you have Spidey and Iron Man teaming up to help save both the rumor and the prowler. I really love Tom's Tony Stark. I mean, honestly, I love everything Tom writes, but he just has, has that Tony Stark Je ne sais quoi yeah. down so well. Uh, Ken's Prowler looks awesome. Ken Lashley, very underrated. There's this one panel uh, that's about half a page, and it's got the 
prowler coming out of like smoke around him and under him. His cape is billowing up. He's got him like charging forward. His claws are out. He just looks so friggin' cool. Yeah. I love, love the look of his prowler. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, next up we have Gwenpool Strikes Back number one, which is written by Leah Williams with art by David Bellion, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, as a huge fan of David Bellion, like, Gwenpool is a perfect character for him to draw. And, uh, you know, for that reason, as well as knowing that Leah is writing this, um, I was instantly on board, could not be more excited. Essentially, the the idea of this issue and then moving, you know, throughout the, the rest of this, I believe it's a five issue limited series, is that Gwenpool is trying as she is like meta in a super comic book meta way beyond kind of even Deadpool, she's trying to stay relevant essentially in the world of comics. So she's doing everything she can with that knowledge to keep herself involved, which is a really, really, really fun idea. And it's a perfect idea for this character. Leah is the most fun writer. We had so much fun reading Leah's giant man story for mm. War of the Realms, which, you know, just carries a similar spirit throughout it with just like, it's so bouncy and so great. And there, there's a, a wonderful mixture and a very organic movement between these really fun, lighthearted moments and these great dramatic moments. This is a, this is like a puzzle piece of a story. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a really wonderful, fun maze that you can kind of journey through and then find yourself again and all that stuff. Like exactly what you want from a Gwenpool comic. If you've not read Gwenpool before, all the, the, the first Gwenpool series is all up on Marvel Unlimited, mm-hmm. and this one does give you everything you need to know. It's not what anyone expects when they read it. And I remember yeah. talking to like a bunch of writers who were like, "Oh wait, that's what Gwenpool is." Right, right. I want to write Gwenpool. Yeah, and like you start to see more writers coming to Gwenpool to play around with that, just the the scope of what is possible with right. that character, right? And then breaking it and trying new things, and and yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Up next is Invaders number eight, written by. Chip Zadarsky, art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis, colors by Alex Guimaras and Dono Sanchez Almaro, with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Man, Chip, I love this book. I love everything Chip does, but yeah. man, I, this is so fun. Um, Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch, he done got messed up by his old friend Namor previously, and in this issue, we see him with a new body courtesy of Tony Stark. It still has his flame powers, uh, and he calls himself the Iron Torch. Which I think is cool. Like, yeah. you know, reinventing. We have a very prominent human torch already. We should also have, you know, give Jim his own identity. And there's a really sweet moment in here with Jim and Toro. Toro is the original human torch's sidekick, mm-hmm. been around, has gone through a lot. And the two of them have this moment where they're just talking and then they hug. And I was just like, yeah. That was great. Like, yeah. It was really sweet. It's just friends helping each other out when they need it. The big stuff in this issue, though, is all about Namor and what's really going on with him and within him, mm. I will say. What's been pushing him in this very aggressive way where he's been moving against humanity. He has been turning air-breathing humans into water-breathing, uh, you know, Atlantean hybrid people. Invisible Woman guest stars in here. I love good Invisible Woman Namor thing where there's like, flirtiness yeah. and like you know looks and just sort of like ooh la la we i just reread civil war for uh twim urc and there's a moment where sue goes to namor for help and he's on his throne he's like spread eagle and he's like abs just exploding and all this stuff and he's like that like he like immediately like sees that no she she wants this <laughs> she goes up to he goes up to her and like touches her almost touches her lip and is just so sexy and so wrong uh, and it's so fantastic um but in this issue cap also gets very angry yeah uh, it's real good stuff Th- this this series for me it's and this issue really started to pull out these colors for me it was really interesting it's kind of in the background of all the story uh has become a really fascinating rumination on what it's what it is to be these characters who have been around and seen so much for so long. Cap and Bucky and Namor, these characters who have lived way beyond normal lifespans and have seen people come and go. It's been a really, really interesting uh, kind of, like I said, it's just these little colors in the background that that have emerged slowly over time. 
Uh, okay, next up we have Ironheart number nine, which is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio, uh, layouts by Geofo, colors by Matt Mila, and letters in production by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a dream issue. It's a dream. It's a dream come true. It is Riri gone to Wakanda to go and f- fight baddies alongside Shuri. Are you kidding me? Like, that is the coolest, best concept, and uh, it, well, the way it plays out is 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 so excellent. Yeah, that, that's particularly what I wanted to mention is it is not a simple like, hey, we're best friends now. Yes. It is a, a, a twist on the classic two heroes meet the don't see eye to eye they are sort of enemies at first but they you know they kind of fight and deal with stuff to eventually become friends but it's a it's taking that and moving it around a little bit as a classic comic book trope done so modernly and well and with these characters that we've come to love especially in recent years yeah it was yeah, tremendous that's exactly that's the perfect way to put it it's a, it's done in a really modern way yeah i, I got to say i think uh was it Lucia Luciano? Uh, Luciano. Luciano is uh, one of those artists to watch, if you Completely. ask me. Yeah. Uh, like vibes of what R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz were giving me in, in just the, the sense of like, oh, the ability here is off, just off the scale. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen as much as we will. Yeah. Like I an artist to watch. Yeah. That is nice. 100% what I what I think. All right, next book is League of Legends Lux issue number 4. This is written by John O'Brien with pencils by Billy Tan of Tan Comics, inks by Hainig Shanchan and Taco of Tan Comics, colors by Gadson of Tan Comics and letters by Jean Rochelle of Comicraft. This issue sees, you know, things sort of blowing up and going off the rails for poor Lux. She actually has to turn down her magic abilities in order to move forward. And her brother is in a bad way, uh, who actually has a really cool set of armor in this. I love the designs and the look of everything that's going on. But Silas, the big bad of the story, is making major moves. He, uh, he goes against the king. He goes against Lux. He goes against everyone. And he looks like he's going to win. We'll see. Uh, well, I believe one more issue to go in this limited run. Nice. Uh, all right. Up next is Loki number two, written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Oscar Bazaldua, colored by David Curiel, lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. Look, this issue opens with Loki visiting Stark headquarters to talk with Tony. He's wearing John Lennon glasses, his little crown, uh, <laughs> and he's got a ringer style tee with the words low key, L-O-W-K-E-Y on it. It is fabulous yeah. it is so much fun uh you could tell daniel and oscar and the team are having fun with this book playing with the tropes but playing with the the your conceptions of what loki story can and will be but the issue really starts to open up and reveal more of the journey for what we're looking at in this title as we go along loki looks to build his story and he tries to join the avengers he's trying to figure out what what does he do now how does he become a Loki that's remembered for more than being the king's brother. Mm-hmm. He actually gets sucked into this vortex that lets him relive all the good and the bad things that he's done, which leaves him in a very interesting spot, which I was not expecting. Yeah. It, it, like This is only issue number two. Uh, while that's going on, you have Daniel and Oscar doing some really creepy stuff with Nightmare. Yeah, it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. yeah, and I was so happy because Nightmare can often be used as sort of a, a punching bag mm-hmm. Or like, oh, this guy's super powerful. Let's show how powerful someone else is by beating him up or mm-hmm. like, you know, clowning on him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this makes him terrifying, makes him a real threat, which he rightfully should be. He is like he first appeared at the same time as Doctor Strange. He's like this. He is nightmare. Yeah. He can play with your dreams and your subconscious and then twist that. And like what he does to someone in here. Woo. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of one panel I think that you're talking about where it's just like it's kind of framed in a way that's not like a hero quote hero shot of it of what's going on. It's almost like you walked into the room and saw it or like you're in the corner and you're just peering at what's going on. Whoa, so scary. Okay, next up we have Miles Morales, Spider-Man number nine. It's my second pick of the week. Uh, This is by storytellers Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon with colors by David Curiel and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is the most emotional Miles Morales story I've ever read. Man. 
like by far. I can't even think of anything that comes close. And not just a Miles story, but just any Marvel comic in a really, really long time. In the last issue, there, it was super inventive, super interesting, and, and very bold, I think, by the entire creative team um, from editorial down through the colors and everything. Um, because essentially Miles has been kidnapped, he's been uh, bound, and he's like away somewhere, and no one knows where he is, and he can't get out. He's tested and tortured. Yeah. Like- I know you can't call it anything other than yeah. torture. Yeah, he's essentially helpless, and that's a, it's a place that we really don't often get to see um, many superheroes. But as soon as you open this book and you see that we don't start this story alongside Miles, we start it with his parents and his uncle, and we see them coming together to try and figure out what happened and to try and help him. It is so emotional the way that it kind of portrays parenthood, the kind of lengths that Miles's loved ones would go for him. I really, I don't want to talk about even the second kind of entire half of this book, but what goes on in here is just, just incredibly powerful stuff. I mean, one of my favorite individual issues in a really long time, not just of this series, but uh, just in general, uh, it just is heartbreaking. It's really excellent. Yeah. And Javier, I've been talking about him for years, telling you, when you look at the guy, when he just draws Miles's family talking, like that is someone who is really skilled and can take something as simple as three characters having a conversation mm-hmm. and turn it into this emotional like w- roller coaster and really wrap you into those the feelings that they're going through. And then at the at like certain parts when you when Miles and that emotion and like mm-hmm. that oh just yeah. it's brutal. Yeah. It's, a, it's a gut punch. It's a heartbreaker. All right, next up is Powers of Ten, number two. You guys ready for this? Oh, boy. Written by Jonathan Hickman. Art by R.B. Silva with inks by R.B. and Adriano de Benedetto with colors by the mighty Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and uh, designed once again by Tom Muller. But how'd y'all feel about that House of X? Wow. Number two, last week. Ah, oh, man. It is really one of my favorite issues that we've put out in a long time. I was talking to B.B., Brendan Bigley, mm-hmm. uh, our friend here, he's he's on the team, and he was saying House of X number two may be one of his favorite or his favorite comic book of all time. Wow. Single issue. Yeah. Uh, but there's so much more to talk about, um, but I can't say. There's so much that we <laughs> can't say. Uh, we make sure you, you've, you're caught up because, you know, when we say that these two series, House of X and Powers of Ten, are one, we truly mean it. The more you read them, the more you see this. As we go along, we got tons of info on Moira in House of X number two. And those revelations actually lead directly into conversations and actions that happen here in Powers of Ten number two. You know, you've got Moira with Charles Xavier and Magneto, Cyclops and uh, Charles, Nimrod, wild, wild Nimrod. If, <laughs> if like you were like, huh, this Nimrod guy is a little something in the, you know, when you first saw him, get ready. Because yeah. at this point... He's holding skulls. He's talking a lot. Uh, I love this this version of Nimrod, and he's terrifying. Yeah. Like the idea, Nimrod is like the ultimate mutant hunting sentinel, and now he's quirky. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> this is bad news. Uh, there's big revelations about society and the planet and some creatures in this issue. I, again, I'm trying to be really yeah. vague. yeah. Because I don't want anything spoiled for you guys. Uh, all I got to say, read this. You, please, please read this. This is redefining some of my favorite characters and their place in the Marvel Universe. So very exciting stuff. All right. From uh, Powers of Ten to Punisher Kill Crew number one. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Juan Ferreira. And letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I say that because I just get so excited every time right? I see that name. Woo! Uh, there's something not just like, look, obviously Juan is one of those artists that does everything front to back, pencils through colors uh, himself. It's not just that. It's like, and, and obviously that's incredible. And his colors and the the kind of almost watercolor aesthetic that he has. But it's like the shape of his characters. It's the shape of a mouth that he draws. It's it, There's something so unique and honestly just so satisfying about it. I just love it. It feels so right. 
Well, I mean, you're talking about the shape and the whole aesthetic. I'm looking at a page that you have open, and it's upside down for me, mm-hmm. but it's got this big, like, troll dude, and just, like, the shape of that massive character, and then the lighting and the shadows yeah. on it, they're... It is just so masterfully done. Yeah, really. Uh, essentially, what's going down in, in Punisher Kill Crew is spinning out of War of the Realms when, uh, you know, War of the Realms is really impactful in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, it was, uh, you know, an incredible superhero story, but, you know, it, it had its it, its effects on New York and on the Marvel Universe. People died. You know, not everyone came out of that unscathed and the you know this is one of the ways that we're feeling those ramifications moving forward essentially jerry's punisher tie-in series that he did with war of the realms was one of my favorite elements of all of war of the realms it was jerry just knows how to play those notes of like fun and metal and 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 really cool moments but also like in the perfect time pulling on the heartstrings of what makes Frank Frank. And what we got to see is him kind of pulled in in a way that we didn't, that I think no one quite expected. And, and least of all, you know, Frank Hassel himself uh, becoming, you know, connected to certain characters out of nowhere, out of happenstance in the middle of this chaos. You know, that's when a lot of these things can come out of nowhere. So what's happening here is there is a, a frost giant that was called Casicla who was, you know, wreaking havoc during War of the Realms, killed a bunch of people. Frank now is seeking vengeance, uh, and so he's going after Kasikla. It, it, it's kind of rage personified in, in the best way. What's really cool about this series is not just Frank going ham, but it's Frank's connection to a bunch of kids who, who had kind of their lives turned upside down by War of the Realms. To see this guy who we all know as like a pretty gruff person with a lot of barriers and walls <laughs> built up around him um you know just come through and, and know what the right thing is to do and interact with those kids and and, and feel their innocence is um is really really awesome it's exactly what i was talking about with with you know how jerry knows how to play those notes just uh, beautifully yeah great start uh the title of that series is punisher kill crew which originates, I believe, back to Scroll Kill Crew, a an early right. Grant Morrison series that followed up on the fact that some of the scrolls were turned the original scrolls that we first met in Fantastic Four two or three right. were turned into cows. Yep. Said cows were then slaughtered and eaten and uh the scroll meat transform some people. I love that. Uh, it's wild <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh all right, up next is my Second pick of the week, it is Silver Surfer Black, number three. It is written by Donnie Cates. Well, the story is by Donnie Cates and Trad Moore with script by Donnie and art by Trad with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Man, oh man, I don't know how, but this series mind-blowingly gets better with each issue. It is bananas. Trad's art blends Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and Mobius with Trad's own out-of-this-world, eclectic, twisty, turny, sort of frenetic vibe to create something that, like, honest-to-goodness looks unlike anything else out there. Yeah. Like, it's just so different. That's not a hyperbole. No, not at all. Uh, So His surfer is this, like, lanky, sinewy, slinky mass of gleaming space muscle uh, and much of this, <laughs> you like that one, Trips? Uh, <laughs> much of this issue is a conversation, an interaction between Surfer and, I'm going to spoil the la- you know the big moment at the end of last issue yeah. of who is involved, because that's really sort of paramount to how we just talk about this issue, with Surfer and Ego. And it's a younger Ego, because Surfer has traveled through time and all this stuff. And so you get this, An ego who looks unlike any other Mm -hmm. version of ego. There's such detail and weirdness and like explosions of things happening because remember, ego is a planet and it he is a living organism. A planet is sort of this perpetually changing thing. Well, ego is like, you know, things are exploding and volcanoes and all this crazy stuff and looks bananas. It is can I just say please that that last page in issue number two oh my is God. one of the moments of Marvel Comics in 2019. Yep. A million yeah. percent. The coolest. Yeah. 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 I, and, uh, you know, go back and read that first appearance of Ego and how it is similar, but, you know, like takes that Jack Kirby-ness to a new level. Right. Oh, man. I'm awesome. really, really loving this. So 
Surfer is here to help Ego with a wound. Ego wants to help Surfer, uh, and now Ego needs something from Surfer, and he's got this wound. And Surfer's like, I'm, I'm going to do this to do it. But if you'd like to help me with the major problem I have, I would really appreciate that. But I'm still going to do this. Yeah. So it's a really fun sort of back and forth between these two cosmic creatures. And so he goes inside, Surfer goes inside Ego. He turns the board into the scalpel. Like it's a scalpel slash javelin thing. Mm-hmm. And he rides it into Ego's body through to this incredibly hot core. And the way Donnie describes, like Donnie is perfect for Silver Surfer. Yeah. This sort of trippy, weird, cosmic, non-human. But he rides into the core of Ego, which is so hot. And he talks about that and how you know it's impossible. And it like scalds him and all this other stuff. Uh, but there's a sequence that is beautiful and detailed and so weird. This stunning battle inside Ego's core between Surfer and uh, the antibodies, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like the, that's their action for the issue. It's put in there. It's really fun. Surfer then turns his board into like a lance of sorts. And he like there's this one panel, but you see Surfer like moving around in this almost ballet type yeah. uh, flow. It is gorgeous, wild, incredible, incredible comics. Uh, the final moment, though is a huge one for Silver Surfer in the series. It is magic. This book is magic. Mm -hmm. It is everything I want out of comic books. Like, there's no way to get this from another medium. The way this is done is why comics are so uh, such an incredible art form. And this is just absolutely breathtaking. Enough said. Uh, Okay, next up we have Silver Surfer, The Prodigal Son, number one. Uh, We continue on with Mr. Rad. Uh, in this ish, it's written by Peter David with art by Francesco Mana, colors by Espen Grundetjern, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I really enjoyed that first Silver, uh, or sorry, the the first Prodigal Son uh, yeah. issue. Uh, it was one of those where it's just like new character, you know, jumping on board and like it's something about it just immediately resonates, just immediately makes sense uh, and, and feels great to read. Um, we're kind of jumping around in space and time in this issue and getting to know the titular prodigal son. Uh, his name, though, is Pradgul, right? Pradgul. Might be the best way to say it. Pradgul. Pradgul. P-R-A-H apostrophe D apostrophe G. Well, thank you, Mr. David. Um, but, uh, and in doing so, it's really cool because we get to see the kind of regal origins of this character, what his conflict is, where he's going, uh, and then it all collides with the Silver Surfer. And that is so cool. This It's it's outlined in the credits page that this takes place before Silver Surfer Black. Um, I think there's incredibly different stories, uh, but it's good to have that little note given that both of these, uh, uh, these issues come out in the same week. Well, you know what, Tugger, yeah. as I pushed my glasses up, this takes place both before and, and after, after. <laughs> Silver Surfer Black number one because there are bits and pieces that – because Silver Surfer Black takes place in the far past. Right. Some of this takes place in <laughs> Triple B <laughs> just fell asleep. It was great. It was really good. Uh, yeah, it was great. It, it's so, I love this book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so good and, and really – you know, we get a really cool throwdown scene between the surfer and Prodigal Sense. So super, super visually striking and, and great. Overall, this feels like if you love Peter David, you're gonna love this. Yeah. Right. That that, that, that that's kind of my vision of, of this, this this series. I think if you love Marvel comics, like yeah. it's just like I'm gonna pick this up and yeah. it is a wonderful ride. Yeah. Really cool. Totally. All right, up next is Star Wars Target Vader. Yeah. Not that there's any sound in any Move Star Wars. Oh, movie. there might be. Yeah, that's a big universe. Sure, we'll give you the room. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is issue number two of Star Wars Target Vader, written by Robbie Thompson, art by Stefano Landini, colors by Niraj Minan, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Again, this one is about the character of Valance, who was seemingly just a character in the old Marvel comics stories, but now has been brought into official Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. He is going after Vader. This one gives us a bit of an origin for Valance in here. You learn a lot more about him and his childhood, but the the bulk of the issue is set on a planet with Valance and his crew, which includes the bounty hunter Dengar. Dengar, aka like a uh, guy with a bunch of bandages on his head. Yeah, it just from Empire. Never, people will recognize him. He never struck me as like a like you have IG. What is it? IG eighty eight. Yep. Right. 
of course, um, Bosk. Bosk was like, yep. you know, he's got one long arm. Ba- Bosk is the lizard guy. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think his arms are like one right. arm is long. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm thinking of the toy at the same time as the yeah, movie. Yeah, right, right. And uh, of course, Boba Fett. Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, oh, Dengar, cool. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, never had an, uh, like a, a special. He's exactly. Yeah, he's exactly one of those Star Wars characters that like makes an appearance for a scene. I think that's it. Like in the original trilogy, yeah. and, and it just takes on a life of his own. Yeah. Because people love that like random out of nowhere pluck him out of the movie and and worship him like i don't know 20 minutes later in the movie the dj of cloud city himself the number one dude with the coolest headphones around oh uh baldo 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 i don't know oh (laughs) should we do this (laughs) duh of course it's lobot lobot yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. But yeah. Lobot. Lo, to be fair, yes. Lobot has more going. Absolutely. On. He he's like pivotal. Yeah. In the story. And Lobot does the whole thing where he like comes up. Beep beep. And yeah. He's like yeah. 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 Lobot's Lobot's got story, bro. Yeah, he does. He but does. I'm, I'm sure Dengar does as well. Anyway, uh, you also have the one of the forearm monkey people, uh, like mm-hmm. that who like the dude from Solo. Yep. You got one of those creatures. Uh, Valance those basically working uh, his messed up splody magic to lure Vader in and the Empire at the same time, trying to get him in his traps. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a really good story. Totally. Uh, okay. Next up, we have Swordmaster number two. Uh, this issue has two stories. The first is called Boxes Within Boxes. It's written by Shuizhu with art by uh, Gunji and the adaptation by Mr. Greg Pak. And then the secondary story is Swordmaster and Shang Chi Masterclass Part Two. Uh, and that's written by Greg Pak with art by Ariel Anandito and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters throughout are by VC's Travis Lanham. I love these Agents of Atlas kind of individual solo series. They're just such a cool shot in the arm. They're just so different. Again, I've said it before with, with Arrow. I've said it with Wave that you just feel these characters are really lived in and you feel like their experiences are totally organic. Uh, and it really feels like they belong in the Marvel Universe. Um, there's just so much here, um, uh, to, from, you know, getting to know this character, getting to understand, um, you know, his story a little bit more. He has this kind of connection he has, uh, uh, with this kind of mystical sword, uh, and that's connected to, uh, his father who's kind of missing and under mysterious circumstances, but it combines like monstrous and mystical in a really, really great way in a way that's super duper fun. And then we have the secondary story where we get to see again, Shang-Chi team up with Swordmaster. Um, That's just the best. I I think as a fan of the agents of Atlas, this is just like a a different point of view on a lot of those kind of dynamics because, you know, the agents of Atlas, I don't know how many characters are, are are on that team. There's like eight or nine or 10 or something like that. So to get to just know how the two of them interact is so much fun as well i just love how greg writes shang chi so much uh you know i think he he just completely gets what makes that character so special and so combining that character who's been around for so long with Swordmaster, who's who's super super new to the 616 is is just a pleasure to see heck yeah all right, my last book of the week is Symbiote Spider-Man number five, written by Peter David, pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Um, this is the end of the limited series as Mysterio, with a little bit of symbiote, faces the real symbiote, which is actually piloting uh, an unconscious Peter. I want to give a shout-out to Greg Land because you get that sense of menace from... Yeah. The Spider-Man here, who is just Spider-Man. Yeah, he's in his black costume, but you can tell. Like, the way he is framed up and the sort of the body language, you you sense that it is a not a Peter. It's not Peter yeah. in his right, mm-hmm. you know, function, uh, which is really cool. It's a difficult thing to do. Uh, there's a cool fight on the 7 train in Queens, throwbacks to Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to John Cerulli and Ron Richards because I'm sure they <laughs> like that. Great illusion stuff with Mysterio. Uh, lots of fun black cat action. But, you know, the thing that I found interesting reading this was it's a, you know, it's during a period where Peter and May are not as close and it bummed me out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it does say symbiote Spider-Man will return. Mm-hmm. So we'll get more of that. 
TBD win. Nice. Uh, okay, final issue this week is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 47. It's written by Ryan North with art by Derek Charm, colors by Rico Renzi, uh, and letters by Travis Lanham. Every time I read the credits for this series, I'm just like, what a dream team. Just what a crew. We know now that War of the Realms is behind us and, and um, a few really great uh, Squirrel Girl slash War of the Realms, can, you know, those kind of tie-in issues are in the rearview mirror. We're, we're going full steam ahead towards the end of this ongoing series. It is the biggest bummer. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's also going to be so much fun because everything that we all love about this character is about to be laid out on the table, um, you know, like never before. So, uh, it, it's going to be a wild ride through to the end. Uh, and it really starts here. I love how this issue progresses, how I feel like if I read this issue and didn't know that the series was ending with 50, that I would kind of know, like you can feel that a bunch of threads are coming back together, whether it's the team, uh, you know, the, Doreen's friends, whether it's, you know, the the baddies that are coming back into play. There's something about it that has that Empire Strikes Back mm. Act 3 feeling about it in the most Squirrel Girl way possible because it, you know, keeps, you know, its sense of fun all the way through. Um, bummed, but incredibly excited. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. But for collections on sale this week, we also have Amazing Spider-Man Hunted as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 War of the Realms Decades Marvel in the Tens Legends and Legacy Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 The Final Gauntlet Mr. and Mrs. X Volume 2 Gambit and Rogue Forever and Ms. Marvel Volume 5 uh, as well as War of the Realms. Wait, we're already collecting War of the Realms? Wow. Get your butts into that book. I don't know the physics of it, but yeah. make it happen. Seriously. Uh, and then finally, X-Men Epic Collection, Dissolution and Rebirth. Yes. Uh, there's some stuff hitting the Marvel Comics app and plenty more. Taking a quick look over in what is added to Marvel Unlimited. Oh, look at that. A couple of Blade books. Blade Crescent City Blues <laughs> and Blade the Vampire Hunter from 1994. There's some Incredible Hulk's Enigma Force stuff in there. Superhero Squad, which made me really happy that that's in there. Just a whole bunch of things. Oh, before the Fantastic Four, Ben Grimm and Logan. That's a neat little one. Uh, but plenty of other comic books for you to enjoy in Marvel Unlimited. And uh, we'll have the list for you. All that stuff. So much more. And we're going to do this all again next week, Tucker. That's right. Oh, and Woo. one more time, reminder, watch our video version that we put out this week. It is our solicits episode for November. It's previewing the new comics hitting your uh, comic shop, the things you'll be adding to your pull list this November. You're going to want to know. we got some revelations. Yeah, it's a good one. And it's, it's real silly. Yeah. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.